Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a special edition of Football and Random Things here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, what's up, Jay Jordan? You're not Jeff Woody. It's an no. imposter here today. I am. I'm the fake fart. <laughs> the fake fart. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'll be my version. <laughs> yeah. Man, no, it's, uh, it's good to have you, dude. It's been a while since we've had you on the podcast network. I had you on the radio show a handful of times this year, but it's uh, been a, quite a while since I was able to talk to you. I know Jeff wanted to be here, but, uh, you know, he's a busy man. Like when you are as famous as Jeff is, it's hard to, you know, always have a clear schedule like, uh, like you and me. Yeah, we uh, we kind of always hit. I was busy in the morning, and he was busy in the afternoon. So it's just uh, just the way it goes. But I'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunities in 2022 to jump on together. I hope so, dude. Um, all right, buddy. Let's. So I think you and me are going to mostly talk some uh, some of the future of Iowa state football here a little bit now, uh, man, it's been a wild weekend, obviously with, uh, coaching and everything like yeah. that, but, um, it has been really, you know, interesting to just watch how the league has kind of been upturned here by, uh, Lincoln Riley's decision to leave for USC. But man, I don't, I don't know if I've ever felt like Iowa state's been in, in a better position long-term than what, uh, than what this program is right now today. Uh, I think that's that's accurate. Um, Long term, new league, um, it, it creates and injects a a, a, a hunger uh, with the newness um, that that's not there when things just stay the same and status quo. And I think that's a benefit to a developmental program like Iowa State, where you're building. You've got recruiting classes that have been increasingly. Uh, significant with regard to talent ratings and uh, you know we'll see how that plays out on the field but but it allows you to capture new momentum with the momentum you've already got and I think Iowa State is poised to to be in that spot even with the letdown that this season was absolutely um I mean, I think that the transfer portal is going to be a big discussion across, obviously across college football for everyone here over the next several weeks uh but I am interested in, in your opinion when you look at this roster and, and what Iowa State you know should be having coming back. Like we have a you know fairly good idea of that, and obviously the transfer portal remains unpredictable in some sense, so things could change. But are there any glaring things that really jump out to you that it's like, man, if I'm you know if I'm on the staff and I'm looking at what our priorities need to be in the off season, like what would priority number one be in, from your perspective? Uh, tight end and pass rusher. Um, I think that's where, so, you know, we all like, uh, and, and I think it's pretty accurate too, but, but there's a reason he's so popular with Bill Connolly's ESPN and the work he did, uh, prior to that with regard to his, um, S and P plus formula. And that formula is based largely on production and returning production. Iowa state was highly regarded because it had a ton of returning production this year. It's all gone. Uh, when that game ended the other day, uh, it's all gone. All of your passing production, all of your running back production, um, all of your tight end and receiving production. Um, I mean, even on the defensive side, from a tackle perspective and sack perspective, all that production just left the field. So that would generally mean you'd be fairly low re- lowly regarded in the next year. 
uh, unless you're out of blue blood traditional power program. That's been the death knell of Iowa State in the past, where we've had nice runs, uh, picked up bowl bursts, and then fallen off the ledge uh, because the production that created that left and there wasn't anything in, in the cupboard to uh, pull it back up or the devastation was so much they couldn't weather the storm and ramp it back up. I think that's the difference. That's the difference. That's the key to Matt Campbell's regime is that from the very beginning, um, as production has moved on, greater production has followed. Uh, and, and now this will be the first test of mass exodus of production and people needing to step up and, and bring it. But you feel more comfortable today that the guys that are going to be in there um, will continue to produce, much like our, our rival to the east um, in Iowa where – they can lose a lot of production, but then you end up with players that look the same, uh, that, that plug in there, that have some experience. It's one thing that Matt's done really well um, is managing the time and the experience. So the guys that he believes will, um, or the, that the staff, not just him, uh, that the staff believes will be key players in the future, get time. They get that we, we see their names. We see Bo Freiler. You know, we see um, Deion Silas get some get some carries. We see Hunter Deckers get into games. Um, you know, Vaughn and Davis and Horn. They, they're not just spelling or giving a rest to those guys. You know, we saw Blake Peterson kind of emerge a little bit uh, later in the year. We're not just seeing those guys get that time just to uh, you know cover over injuries and and give some rest to the established starters we're seeing that because that's developing those guys giving them experience under their belt uh so that when they come in that next year they're not completely wrong i think the thing that's encouraging about it though is that not only like you like you mentioned those those guys come in and and most of them have come in and played really well like where they jump out to you uh as you're watching i mean i think of guys like craig mcdonald uh, Bo Freiler is one that you mentioned, Gary Vaughn, uh, Miles Purchase came in and played pretty well at the corner spot. I think, man, if, if you could have gotten him ready, like four or five weeks earlier, dude, and I know that that's, you know, it's easier said than done, but I think that he could have made a big difference for them on the, on that opposite corner of, uh, of Anthony Johnson, but like those kinds of guys, and then you, you mentioned a Dion Silas, you obviously bring Jirel Brock back, uh, Eli Sanders, like Jalen Knoll, like we've seen enough of these young guys that it's like, man, there's still some people that are really, you know, are worth getting excited about because we've seen them do it. You know, it's not just like, oh man, now all these guys are gone and we have no idea what's left. You know, like, we, man, we know that these guys got some talent. It's just like, how quickly can they put it all together and, you know, come together to be a, a solid team and, and pick up where this group left off? Yeah, though, though they're going into 2022, there will actually be an excuse. Or uh, a slow, slow start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, hopefully it's not that slow, but uh, it, it should be, should be interesting still. W what do you feel about the quarterback position? How do you feel about that position with Hunter Deckers coming in uh, as a, you know, presumed starter at that position? Obviously you've got Aiden Bowman still at, in that group. And then you're going to bring in Rocco Beck, who's the uh, th three-star quarterback out of Florida in this recruiting class. I mean, I, 
I feel like Deckers is going to be able to come in and, you know, everybody within the program is really excited about him for him as much as anything. It's like, can you find guys who can throw, who he can throw it to consistently? And can you block consistently for him? Those are my two biggest concerns for him as he steps in to be the the full-time starter. Yeah. So those are two, two really disparate questions is his play, all things being equal. Uh, meaning that he has an established running game and he has an offensive line that's competent. Um, I think we've seen enough from him to believe that there are throws that he can make that we haven't seen over the last four years, Um, that there's an opportunity to develop a deep game uh, again. That is something that's been absent uh, from the offensive, uh, from an explosive passing game. Uh, that those elements are there. We saw him run a little bit and think that, you know, there's there's a chance to keep that that going in a little bit different style because he's a bigger, more physical player. Um, it really, for me, depends on what's between his ears and how does he make the adjustment? How does he keep his cool? Um, Iowa State has played the last couple of years in the mode of coming from behind wasn't a big thing. It was expected. It's just what they did. Um, but that takes an incredible mental approach from really experienced pro- players to play that way. Um, if you play in that manner, then is Decker's good at that? He experienced enough? Uh, is he ready for that type of um, that type of high pressure scenario? But you also could see a very different style of play with him. That's one thing when you have that change at the quarterback position, especially when you're going from righty to lefty, 200 pound guy to 235 pound guy, uh, smaller arm to bigger arm, uh, it gives you an opportunity to do more or different things in the offense. And, and that's where I think now you move to your wide receiver core, which is losing its primary production, which was, uh, Hutchinson. Um, I think we lose Milton and Wilson too there, but that's about it. Wilson didn't go through senior day. So I think that he is, I mean, that would at least lead me to believe that he's probably going to come back, but I mean, their reception wise. Yeah. I mean, I think someone like him, you, you really need Joe Skates to put it all together for you. Uh, you know, someone like Sean Shaw, you need him to stay healthy to where he can stay on the field. But it's like you've got – again, it comes back to you've got some pieces here, but it's like how do they all fit together and how well can someone make a jump when you know that they're going to – like you need them, you know. This is not a, hey, it would be nice to have this. It's like, no, we need you guys to step up at this point. Yeah, those, those guys, we're going to have to go back to a, a more traditional spread offense reliance on the wide receivers because you don't have a Charlie Kohler. Easton Dean may be great, but we don't know that. Um, you know, we don't have Chase Allen. We've got Jared Russ coming back. Uh, but Dean and Hanukkah are the guys that I've got tagged from the current roster as potential replacements. But, uh, but look, Charlie Kohler is going to do what he did at Iowa state for a long time. And he's, he's going to do that because he's, he's really freaking special. And so you lose that safety blanket. Now those wide receivers become primary. So you've got Skates, you've got uh, Jackson, you've got Noel, you've got Shaw, who have all caught balls in games, uh, and you've got you know a Porter, uh, an Anderson, uh, Aiden Bitter, 
you know, sitting back there, um, also having gotten some time, which one of those guys is going to emerge and, uh, who does Decker's trust? Who's Decker's working with? Who's he going to, is he going to do the Joe Burrow thing where he grabs his three wide receivers and throws a thousand balls to him in the summer? Who's, who's Decker's throwing those balls to and who's he going to trust? And, uh, I think all of those guys are capable. Uh, they all have size mismatches. They're, they're not unfortunately slow. Um, in fact, there's some decent speed there. Um, and, and that's, what's got to develop. Those are just all unknowns. So as you approach 2022 in the future, you've got unknowns, but you've got unknowns with, with people that you believe are talented enough to make something work. I think the offensive line will be an interesting one because you bring back some key guys, you know, at some different positions there. Um, but you also lose some important ones that have obviously played so many snaps for Iowa state. And I mean, I think the primary one being a guy like Colin Newell, who's been a four-year starter at center for that group. Uh, how do you feel about the, that position group moving forward from, you know, when you remember watching guys when they were being recruited. And then even when we've seen glimpses of people, obviously, you know, Jake Remsburg is someone that I know we were both excited about coming out of last season. And I think the injuries kind of lingered with him uh, from last year all the way through this year, you know, getting him back to full strength, I feel like will be very helpful, but you know, you, I think we need to see some of those guys that have been recruited and were highly touted coming out of high school. Like they need to start to, you know, develop and get into a position where they can not only battle for playing time, but get on the field and make an impact for this group, because they're going to need people to step up at that position, especially, you know, after I think most people would say that they severely underwhelmed uh, despite all the returning production they had from a year ago. Yeah. Uh, Treber, Remsburg and Ramos need to step up and be the answer for the three guys that, that won't be there for Newell Foster and Schweiger. Um, the, those are those are three guys. They were, I liked all of them coming out of high school. Um, I thought they'd all be on the field by now. Um, the fact that they haven't could indicate one or two different things. We don't know about the injury histories behind that. But those are three guys who should be able to plug in. They've got experience. They've uh, well, Treber doesn't, but um, the other two do, and they should be able to move very comfortably into that. And that line should be able to be what it was this year, if not a little bit better. Um, that Miller kid from there, um, that, sorry, got a call. Um, he's a kid that I know that they like, that's a big moose and should be able to move some people in there. But those three, that that's who you should listen for in spring is are those guys stepping in their experience. They've been in the program a long time. Uh, they come fairly highly touted and, and had solid skills. They should step right in and be as good or better than what we've seen. What do you think is the evolution of the three, three, five defense now? Um, I was talking to Rob Gray uh, during the game on Saturday night. And, you know, I think you're not necessarily getting to a point where it's like, man, we got to scrap the three, three, five or anything like that. I don't want to say that, but I do think that we're starting to see where offenses are catching up to the three, three, five a little bit. And you know, that's just natural. That's how football works is all in it. All sports work for the most part. When someone comes up with something new, 
everybody then starts to focus on how do we beat the new thing? And, uh, you know, just is all around in a, in a circle, but you lose some really important pieces of that defense this year that have been, you know, linchpins of it for the entirety of the time that, that Iowa state has used it, you know, can you just plug and play those guys? Or is this one of those things where you kind of have to go back to the drawing board a little bit and be like, all right, this worked for us for all this time, but we've got to, with different personnel and things like that, we've got to start to figure out a new way to do this just to, to keep up with, uh, with the Joneses, I guess, and keep up with what our personnel is. So there are three positions that make that defense work and has made it work for Iowa State. Um, and is why some teams who run it don't do quite as well as what Iowa State has with it. Who do you think those three players are in position? Well, I'd say the nose guard, the um, which has been obviously there's been several guys who have played there, but then Mike Rose at the middle linebacker and then Greg Eisworth at the middle safety. Okay. Uh, you got one. Oh, okay. My, <laughs> and those those are very important. You got to have an Eisworth type. You need to need a, a good nose, though. I think that, that, that they've proven that that can be rotated in and out. It depends on what the player gives you. Uh, Mike Rose, for sure, at that outside linebacker position. Uh, Anthony Johnson at the corner and Will McDonald pass rushing. So throughout the, the evolution of that with Iowa State, they didn't have the pass rusher before McDonald, but they had Jaquan Bailey, who was you know a poor man's Will McDonald from the very beginning when they started running it. They had a, a guy who could get pressure one-on-one and – in a three-man front. They had Brian Peavy, who then became Anthony Johnson, who were locked down corners on one side of the field, on, on that corner. They've always been weaker on the other side uh, from that. But uh, I think Anthony Johnson's value is vastly underrated and will be seen next year. Um, so those three positions, and before Mike Rose, you had Willie Harvey, who played his senior year at the transition and who was absolutely excellent. Uh, so what that outside linebacker does is he covers two two zones with his talent. He's got to be able to uh, get in the way on the on from a passing uh, lane perspective, and he's got to be able to come from distance, close quickly, and close down and tackle really well. Um, that cornerback allows you to play numbers with the rest of the secondary. If you have Anthony Johnson and Brian Peavy. You can lock down an outside receiver or an outside zone over there uh, and support the run because both were excellent run supporters um, from that one side. And that allows you extra numbers for the balance of that defense to, to roll and work with and allows you a double team. The key to the three three five is really uh, the ability to double and bracket those inside receivers um, with the linebacker and the safety. Um, but you can't do that if you've got to help your both corners. But if you've got one then there and then the ability to get pressure with three, Baylor proved it a couple of years ago uh, when they switched to it under Matt Rule and became a dominant defense. And you, you've seen it with Will McDonald here in the last two years that that whole defense works when you can get pressure with three and four becomes a mismatch uh, with one of your pass rushers. So the question for Iowa State is, do you replace those those three players with somebody who's as good? like they were able to do uh, when they lost PV and, and Harvey um, when that attrition occurred. Can they do that? And if you can't do that, then now you've got to look at, at, at changing up 
your scheme. Now you've got to look at, at finding another way to uh, gain a numbers advantage um, and work. They love working the light box. That's the, that's the biggest advantage of what they do. The light box that becomes heavy because you've got eight players uh, sitting on the edge of the box that, that can all come down to discipline. Um, they can do that. Machine Young does that really well. Kim Monty King did a great job at that. Um, you can get away um, get away with that, but you might have to change that up if you don't have that pass rusher, if you don't have that uh, run support from the corner and you don't have that uh, outside linebacker who covers more space than an outside linebacker should uh, should be able to cover. That's the question, and that that that's what would lead to any sort of scheme wrinkle or them moving more into a uh, 4-2-5 Oklahoma State style. Are there any other young guys that you're really excited just to see them get more of an opportunity to play? Not that like necessarily it's like, man, they, you were thinking like, Oh, this guy should play more than what he is, but it's like guys that, you know, when, when you watch them in recruiting and things like that. And now it's like, they've had a couple of years. It's like, I'm excited to see what that guy can be. Uh, I'm interested in Cole Peterson uh, from a linebacker perspective. I don't know for sure, but I know his motor. And um, we'll see what his talent level. He got on the field a little bit this year. Um, I'm interested. I'm interested. I don't know if I'm excited uh, <laughs> to see that. I think I want to. I want to see Jarrell Brock carry the ball as a primary ball carrier. Carrier. I think he's got more than what we know at this point, and uh, I think he's got a chance to be uh, really good at that. Um, on the defensive side, I'm just. I'm not sure. I'm just so. Um, I'm frightened of cornerback, uh, of who replaces Johnson. He was so solid out there, uh, for this team and allowed, allowed to, uh, covered other people's mistakes. And, um, I want to see if Tampa can TJ Tampa can realize his athletic potential, um, and pull that into sound discipline, um, and then be a, be a guy out there or turn into that, or maybe miles purchase is that guy. And we still allow uh, Tampa to develop or better yet. Maybe they're both really good. <laughs> and if they're both really good, then this defense takes a, takes a, uh, a jump. I love Jerry Vaughn. You know that I've loved him since he came out of high school. I thought the team was far better this year when he was playing middle linebacker over Vance. And I think a full season with him uh, being the man in their middle linebacker will uh, change some things. He resets the line of scrimmage with his just natural instincts at the position. And, and that was evident when he was in the games. And I think um, accentuating that moving forward, um, I'll be excited, even though he's been around a while, uh, I'll be excited to see him to be a, be a primary player in there. And then on the defensive line, um, I'm interested to see what Blake Peterson can do. I really liked him and I thought he could become that pass rusher. And I thought he might've done it earlier than what he has. Um, but I think, uh, I think he has a chance to be, be a real key cog uh, in replacing any and Zach and, and will. You have to think a guy like him is, you know, he wasn't necessarily held back because I think at the end of the day, it, it was helpful for him to be in the same room as these guys, but like having, Will McDonald, Eni Wazirike, and Zach Peterson in front of you for your entire career. Not exactly something that screams early playing time, you know, nope. 
And uh, it was unfortunate for him that any not only came back for another year, but like came back for another year and was really good, was better than I think any of us could have imagined in our wildest dreams he would be. I mean, yep. he, was, he was a first team all conference type of player for the entirety of the season. And it's like the opportunities that potentially could have been there as a young guy for anybody at those positions. I mean, they were quickly evaporated because those guys all turned out to be, I mean, as good as we ever could have hoped they'd be. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. That's, that's why I think he has a chance to be a good solid replacement there. I'm not as concerned about the defensive line. Um, Corey subtle is another one who hasn't gotten a ton of time because he's had blocks and playing time with some of those same type of players. Um, Jairus needs to progress. And then the, the young fellow, the big boy, uh, Brown, Howard Brown, uh, they liked him in fall camp. And, uh, if he continues to, to progress and physically transforms a little bit, um, they could have a different looking, uh, defensive line. I wonder if they feel like they could get away with the four man front and, um, and it still be effective. And I, I think, uh, I think that could be something that you see a lot more of moving into the next year. They better hope that they can keep uh, Howard Brown out of the quarterback room, man. <laughs> well, let's, let, let's hope we don't need him to transition. No kidding. Um, all right. Really quick here before we, before I let you go, uh, what do you think of the rest of the league, how the rest of the league is kind of transforming here? Obviously Sonny Dykes going to be the next coach at TCU. Um, you know, Gundy is Gundy and, and what he does at Oklahoma state, but Aranda seems like he's sticking around at Baylor. Uh, the league seems really stable from a coaching perspective, despite the fact that, you know, one of the best coaches in the league just got stolen out from under one of the premier program in the programs in the league's nose. I just, I think that even once Oklahoma and Texas leave, like you look at some of these coaches that are going to still be around some of the coaches you're going to add, or at least as of today, what it would look like they're going to add with a Luke fickle and um, you know, the guy at BYU, like this is going to be a, this is going to be a pretty difficult group uh, across the, across the entire conference you know, how do you see the the landscape of the league shifting here over the next several years, maybe? Yeah, I mean, going to add Luke Fickle, Kalani Sataki, Gus Malzahn, and Dana Holgerson. So everybody's familiar with Dana Holgerson, uh, but not the other three. But uh, in any other year, those three guys, and, and it's not that their names aren't mentioned, but but you're adding four top flight very successful winning coaches uh, into the mix with a bunch, you know, with the Dean uh, now Mike Gundy and, um, you know, Lance Leopold's a upgrade at Kansas. Neil Brown is, he's not underrated, but he's really good. And he's going to do some things at West Virginia and continue to push that, that forward. Uh, we'll see with the guy at tech, um, how he does, but I expect him to do better. And Sonny, Sonny's a really good coach. Uh, he knows TCU and TCU's talent levels, probably three or four wins above what they've been able to achieve the last three or four years. So I, I expect TCU to be uh, a significant factor um, moving forward in the league. So what you're moving into is a league that's not top heavy anymore with blue bloods, but you're talking about a very diverse very um, um, 
talented and even uh, group of teams uh, heading into the next year. So what makes the difference when everybody's kind of even from a talent perspective, from a recruiting platform perspective? Um, I'm not sure we know because we haven't had a league like that before. And, um, you know, does that mean everybody's going to be fighting right around 500 and just, you know, eat, eat their young maybe, uh, or does it mean that the, that the most, um, most schematically innovative, um, team comes out on top? Maybe, uh, I tend to lean towards what that leads to is the most dynamic leaders and the folks that, that create true team unity are the teams that rise to the top when everybody seems to be the same. I think Cincinnati is a beast. I think they have that. I think they know what they are and they play to it. I think Oklahoma state knows what they are and they play to it. I think Iowa state knows what they are and play to it. I would put Iowa state behind there uh, in the mix, but behind because of the loss of, loss of production that they've got. Um, but I, I would expect things to shake out with those two teams being kind of the top of the league and the premier TCU, Iowa state looking to make their step back, make their claim back into that realm. Uh, Baylor's going to stay consistent because you're right. Dave Aranda is very, very good. Uh, and can I just make a note here at the end? Mm-hmm. So Baylor had a really good coach who turned things around from a bad situation, a horrible situation. Don't, I'm not going easy on Baylor, um, a horrible situation of their own, own doing. Um, and they had Matt rule and he put things right. They lost him very quickly. Um, which I'm, I know, uh, Baylor people were not happy about, and they were just as afraid as all Iowa state fans were about losing a really good coach. Um, but they replaced him pretty well, didn't they? Yeah. And Aranda has, you know, took a quick step back and, and moved forward very quickly. Um, let that be encouragement for the Iowa State fandom that I love Matt Campbell as much as anybody else. Um, and what he has done for Iowa State is worthy of a statue, like, like people like to say. Um, but losing him is not the end of the world. Good for Matt. Let Matt do what Matt wants to do. What he has given to this program allows this program to make a quick snap back, just like Baylor was able to do. It's not the end of the world. It's not a panic button. He's put the program in a place where they can snap back, not only with a roster that's full of people ready and hungry to come to the table to replace production and be competitive at the top of a new league, uh, but even in his absence, we'll be able to maintain and snap back um, moving forward. That's the, that's the gift that Campbell has given to Iowa State is he has stocked the cupboards. He hasn't left anything bare. Uh, he doesn't run away from a fight. And, um, and he's put them in a position that they can snap back and maintain and even grow from where where and what he is capable of doing at this university. And um, it, it, it's time, it's time to recognize that and recognize that, that, that that is where 
that's where the value is. It's not just in leadership on the field and the sideline on, on the 12 Saturdays that we get guaranteed to us in the fall. It's in the program that's in place, the facilities that are in place, the reputation that has been in, enhanced that even in his absence will linger and continue on. It's not strictly tied to just him. And, and that's, that's part of his brilliance and part of what he's done and part of the reason I think Iowa State maybe takes a small step back next year, but remains in the mix in the top of the Big 12 moving forward. Yeah, man, it's crazy to see just how everything has changed with the program over the last six years. Uh, so, you know, we're recording this Monday afternoon, six years ago right now, uh, Matt Campbell was being announced as the new head coach at Iowa State. And um, it is, I mean, they've caught up. You know, they're, obviously they're not on the level of, of an Alabama or, a, or or anybody like that. But when you look across the country at, you know, the average college football program, Iowa State's like no further behind any of them than they, you know, than anybody else is. They're right there. The operation is all there. And I think that just, if nothing else, what Matt Campbell has done, you know, and has is continuing to do because he's not, as of today, is not going anywhere. But uh what he's done is he's given people the belief and given people the understanding that it can be done here. And then you build the infrastructure to, to make it happen. And then that can last, you know, it doesn't just live with one man. Right. Right. And I, I, I hope that message gets uh, received well because it's a credit to him, but it's a credit to Iowa state too, that it is a place that that can happen and will happen and is set to do now. Um, you know, let's find a way to go to go beat Iowa next year. Let's do it, man. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for taking some time here this afternoon. And um, thanks. I guess that's all I got to say. All right, buddy. Yeah, have a good one. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk to everybody again soon here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Peace.